Hello and welcome to the Home Streets Home podcast. If all goes to plan over the next few weeks and episodes, I'll be chatting with those in society that are often ignored and hearing their inspirational stories, as well as the determined activists that work day and night to help them. On this episode, I talk with the wonderful Mikkel Yule Iverson, who's the founder of Under One Sky. We chat about the horrendous realities of living life on the street during lockdown, challenging one's own ideas around homelessness, and also how to actively engage the next generation to help. Hi there. Hey, Mikkel, it's Ash. Hey, Ash, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really well. So, so glad we've... Um, managed to find a time to talk does it all sound um okay and clear your side uh yeah sound is fine on my side how about you uh yes it's it's a it's a little bit blurry but i think that might just be um my headphones oh okay i i tell you why it's because um i'm just boiling some water for the baby before we get started ah okay no no worries at all How, how old is your baby uh she is uh she's 11 months Okay, so maybe we'll, we'll we can get her on the next the next series. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank thanks so much for um, giving up a bit of your evening tonight, Mikael. Um, we won't be much more than kind of sort of twenty twenty five minutes, I'd imagine. So is is that okay with all that's going on, on your side? Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Lovely. Well, welcome to Home Street Home, Mikael. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing your first-hand account of the problems that exist for London's homeless at the moment because I know you're out there every evening with your team of volunteers. Could we start with a bit about the unique formation of Under One Sky and uh, what your team does for the homeless? Yeah, so Under One Sky was, you could sort of say, it was almost started by accident. Actually, probably about 10 years before, I'd taken up meditation and I'd also cured myself of an of an illness I had for a couple of years, purely through mind. And uh, in that process, something happened in my life. Like I just suddenly realized that <clears throat> I had to focus more of my life on, on people and looking after people's interests. So how did Under One Sky begin actually came out of a, a film production company that I'd set up with a friend which was focusing on making films uh, to inspire positive social change. It was actually just one Christmas where I I, I said to my business partner, you know, um, we're still in the process of getting these films off the ground, but why don't we go out and do something that, uh, that just really symbolizes the values we stand for. That's what I put on Facebook to a few friends saying, we're going to go out uh, in a few days to connect with the homeless and give them some Christmas presents. And, um, then people just wanted to give me money straight away, even though I hadn't asked for money. And that's how it started. We started with eight people going out, handing out a few Christmas presents and having conversations with uh, some homeless people just before Christmas. I think it's a, a lovely foundation story to a charity. I didn't know it started at Christmas because I can imagine that's uh, one of the toughest times to be homeless. Mm-hmm. And, and it's come up in previous episodes that we're more often than not willing to help those less fortunate than ourselves just uh, sometimes kind of unsure how to do so effectively Um, and I read in an article on you and your team regarding your take on the harsher sides of living on the streets and the illegitimate claim of excusing action due to saying all donations will be spent on drug and alcohol rather than food and sanitary products and clothing Uh, absolutely I think it's um, 
I actually had a very interesting incident uh, in, a, in an Uber the other day uh, after the person realized that I was going in uh, to, uh, to do one of our events. And he was saying, uh, yeah, you know, there's many people on the streets who are alcoholics or who take drugs, but there are also some real homeless people. And so I had to, had to, 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 to explain him my view that actually um, substance abuse uh, might be the effect of um, homelessness, not the cause. Um, and it's, 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 it's interesting because, you know, it's all about empathy and it's all about thinking about, well, actually, if I put myself in their shoes, what would I do? But I think one thing that um, is, is quite interesting to look at is, is just in, in, in the general public, how uh, prevalent, uh, you know, mental health issues are. I think if you ask someone who, uh, you know, is going through a depression, uh, if they would imagine what that would be like also being on the streets, I don't think that, that they could probably really uh, sort of process, you know, having those two challenges at the same time. Now, you know, those are, those are some of the realities of, of being out there that a lot of homeless people do have mental health issues. And um, it's not, it's, you know, they've ended up there, but it, it's, it's, they've been on a long journey. They have been on long, often traumatic journeys that go completely undocumented. And we can all feign ignorance and not ask ourselves what we do and put up a guard and kind of count ourselves lucky it's not us. But stepping into their shoes is an important aspect of, uh, I think, like creating a more welcoming and understanding community. And on the subject of compassion, Mikel, what have your thoughts been on the government providing accommodation for, I think it's a reported 5,000 homeless people, because there seems to be quite a few question marks around that number. How, how do those reports compare to the reality that you've seen on the streets during this time? I, I get very confused about these numbers because I've heard that number. I've heard, I've heard 1,800 is a number that's being mentioned quite often, 1,800 rough sleepers, and that's put, in, 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 that's put together with that's 90% of rough sleepers who come off the street. Obviously, that means that the, the 100% would be, would be 2,000. Um, us, as a, us as an organization, we feed more than 300 every night, and we don't cover the whole of London, and we don't cover the whole of the areas that we walk in. So that math by definitely doesn't stack up. I, it's, it's, um, it's really hard because you, are we talking rough sleepers? Are they also including people who are actually already living in hostels, but who's had to be moved because uh, obviously because of social distancing? Yeah, I, I would love to see a breakdown one day of, of, of how those numbers are measured, especially the, the claim that 90% of homeless people are now in, in hotel accommodation. Moving on from that, this by far is the worst time to be homeless. There was a promise of getting everyone in in 48 hours. To me, complete nonsense. I mean, that was just a mission impossible. And the problem is, I haven't seen any initiatives by the government for the people who have, who have not been housed. So um, I haven't seen any sort of real official food distribution. There's been no toilets opened. Um, you know, if you have a concert or any event in London, you know, ports are loose are being put up in, in a day, right? Nothing has happened here. No showers, no, no provision of clothing or toiletries. So 
you have people who, who are basically starving to death unless charities and, and, and similar organizations would be out serving them. Um, you have people who are, now it's actually, today is actually uh, seven weeks after the lockdown. You have people who haven't had a shower for seven weeks. So we people who have, you know, they have things like body lice, uh, you know, women who've had their periods, they haven't had any tampons, no new knickers, uh, they haven't been able to wash. Um, obviously no toilets, it's, 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 um, it's illegal to defecate on the streets. But what are these people supposed to do if there's hardly any toilets open? Being able to go to the bathroom is, is, a, is actually a human right. So that for me is, is so disappointing. It's honestly, it's horrendous. It, it is horrendous. And there being no initiative from the government to help those still out there is so, so wrong. And, and you're right with the events comparison because hundreds of portaloos or, or makeshift showers can be put up overnight when it's deemed necessary. Uh, for people that will more often or not have access to those anemones when the event is over and, and they go back to their houses. Uh, I mean, you'd hope among the many subsequent inquiries over the UK government's handling of coronavirus, one will be regarding those people that were and have been completely left behind in, in such dire situations. Um, and regarding what has been offered to the homeless, Mikel, Surely extending all this after lockdown is going to be incredibly difficult and like as per not seen as a priority. That's correct. This in itself is, is, has, has become a really traumatic experience. And uh, you mentioned the hotels. We don't know how long uh, the, those hotel rooms have been under, under, underwritten for. So um, is there suddenly going to be a swathe of, of homeless people returning to the streets? The other problem you have is that there's a lot of new homeless people who are arriving in the streets every day because um, say they work uh, agency jobs and similar where they you know they've just been basically been let go from one day to the next uh, they can't pay their rent so they're being kicked out and, and we meet many people who are on the streets for the first time and they find it incredibly difficult to survive because for the firstly they don't they haven't got the skills to be homeless obviously as you as, as you live on the streets, you learn the tricks of the trade, and they become homeless in worst possible time. So I fear that things could actually look a lot worse after you know when things starts opening up again and the hotels need their rooms back, because there haven't, as far as I'm aware, suddenly been a huge increase in the num in the number of hostel places over the last seven weeks. Yeah, I've I've tried to find stats on what the government will do because it's it's difficult to get any sort of verifiable number or established plan because I'm not re I'm not really sure if one exists to be honest. There's there's quotes from Dame Louise Casey in the Independent saying they will have a task force to help with rough sleepers um, regarding their physical and mental health, but I can't see much more than that. If if I can't really see anything on kind of tangible financial housing or, or employment-based support um, when, when this is over. Um, so, so with there being so many people still not feeling the effects of that government support and needing help from teams like yours, what's under one sky's process? How do, you, how do your teams operate across London? We, cover, we have four, four to five teams who go out in London every night. Uh, and actually just last night was, after last night, we'd, we'd served more than 9,000 meals. 
we cover um, King's Cross, Tottenham Court Road, we cover Soho, we cover Leicester Square, Trafalgar Square down to uh, the Strand, we do uh, Waterloo, London Bridge, we do Westminster, Victoria. Um, so they're, they're the sort of the core areas that we do. And then we also some nights do Angel, Islington, Holloway, uh, Marble Arch. Across those areas, we serve between 300 and 350 people every night. Um, and what we provide them is firstly a hot meal. So we have a collaboration with a uh, restaurant in Covent Garden called Punjab, run by a fantastic guy called Ambert Mann. He's, uh, he's a man with a huge heart, um, and he's basically kept his staff on to primarily cook for the homeless. So he's also cooking for a charity called Nishkan Swat. So on a, on, a, on a daily basis, they probably cook between five and 600 meals. He's also kindly actually giving us half, given us half his restaurant for us to use a stock room. So we run our operations out of his restaurant. Um, and what we provide people on those nights is we provide them a hot meal. We also have a group of people located out in the Fulham Chelsea area who produce about 200 sandwiches every day. So we bring that. Then we uh, have bring, bring water, we bring tea, coffee and soup. We bring fruit, we bring uh, breakfast bars um, and various other items that, that are being donated to us. Um, we've also just started bringing out clothes. So uh, we actually, because we go out every night, we can take requests. So we take requests from people and then the next day they, they receive what they requested, and whether that's a trainer or a jacket or something else. And we're also looking to uh, move further into um, to toiletries. So um, on an average night out, if you were to uh, volunteer with us, you get into a team with uh, four to five other volunteers and you'll then cover a specific specific area um, the team is is led by a person who's been out several times before who uh, knows how our uh, processes work but also knows the area as has, has developed relationships with the people that uh, that that we meet in, in those areas um, and so usually we set off around six o'clock and it usually takes about uh, about sort of three to four hours to uh, to do the full run. So that's um, and, and, and then, you know, we we also in some cases, if we find people who are particularly vulnerable uh, or who we think we can help, then sometimes we'll support them by by sponsoring um, a, a room in a hostel. We've actually, we've spoken about this not on the episode, but I will definitely be coming down to join you hopefully next week uh, and I'll make sure I'm bringing some friends with. And I urge listeners to maybe do the same. Um, I will, uh, there'll, there'll be a link, there'll be a link close to wherever you found this podcast about signing up if you'd like to also come down. Um, I know Under One Sky has carried on during this time, Mikhail, but surely the homeless have felt the effects of charities not having the people power that they did prior to the lockdown. Well, that's that's exactly the problem, as you say. There there are a handful of charities out there who uh, who serve some serve every night like us, some serve on some days, and that's what you know. When I mentioned to you earlier, what what I find so disappointing is that from from a government perspective, they haven't been they haven't been offered as much as a as a cup of water and a biscuit, and and so this is really a lifeline, and that's. And that's why we started this in, in, this initiative to begin with, because we 
went out two days after the lockdown to see what the situation was. And we met one guy who hadn't eaten for six days. It's, it's really complete neglect. It's, it's almost like, you know, we're on lockdown, but they've been locked out. They've been locked out in an outside prison because all the doors are closed and there's just nothing, there's nothing available. on your social pages and website um, which I'll, I'll link to this podcast wherever you are listening to this podcast um, about Under One Sky Junior and I think that's such a, a lovely idea I was wondering if you could tell me a bit more in your words about that initiative. So Under One, Under One Sky Junior is, 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 is an idea for doing this similar events to what we do now and our events are, are basically street walks so we're, we're not a soup kitchen where we roll out a table and, and people stand in line. Our ethos has always been to go and meet people where they are um, and to connect with them where they, you know, sort of bedded down for the night. And we already at our regular events um, have quite a lot of children and uh, teenagers out. We normally, 20% of, of, of our volunteers on a sort of regular under one sky event uh, Will be uh, will be will be kids and teens, um, and it's just been such a positive experience every time. Both you know parents who report back how the children really um, responds extremely positive to it on the days after. Um, children feedback from children children themselves, and the thing is with kids, and it kind of goes back to what we started the conversation with. Often, you know, children haven't had the same level of conditioning we have. And children don't understand why they're sitting there when there's so much, you know, wealth around them. Children are actually very good at, at, at connecting with, with the homeless because they go straight in, open-hearted approach. And um, when you speak to, uh, you know, people who are homeless, that's usually also the approach that you're met with as soon when, when you build the level of trust. Um, it's amazing what people share. It's amazing what level of emotion they share. You know, often you end up sitting with someone crying on, on your shoulder. And um, for us, it's just so important that we, with the resources that we have, try to do our bit to ensure that the next generation has the opportunity to um, actually uh, practice empathy. I think that's a that's a fantastic idea and an important lesson to teach the children about how we think and behave to those in worse positions than us. And that idea has been prevalent across the previous episodes too. I remember uh, Sal from Connected Homeless talking about how understanding and empathy are key to uh, remodeling policies around solving homelessness, uh, as well as the actual policies themselves. You need the compassion thinking behind them. Um, Mikkel, as a as a place to end, I've been asking the activists I've spoken to what their top piece of advice would be to those that are listening that want to help. What would yours be? It's actually extremely simple, and it's something that I've realised the more you know, the more we've grown, that we're we're actually with the work that we're doing, we're we're benefiting in two ways. We're benefiting the homeless by um, actually giving them time, you know, giving them time to talk, by connecting, by letting 
by letting them share and, and us sharing with them. And so that's one side of it, but it's actually a mirror situation because what I'm seeing more and more is that our volunteers, um, there is something that wakes up with, within them when they do this work. And, and it goes back to that piece of empathy and it actually goes back to what I would call touching life itself. And when you touch life itself, you start, you, you start bringing life into your life. And so the very simple advice for me would be to um, start connecting with people. Just have a, a casual conversation. Um, often people say, well, yeah, but I'd have to give them something, right? It's people in need. Well, the only reason we think that is because we have developed such a materialistic mindset that we think we have to give something to actually be exchanging something of value. You know, if you're giving your time and if you're giving, if you're willing to share off your own life, if you're willing to share off your own emotion, you're giving actually something that's extremely valuable because it's, I believe that the, the key to actually surviving on the streets every day is not, you know, having food or not having food. It's about remaining, um, sort of keeping that sense of being alive and there being hope in the world and feeling that you in some shape or form belong here too. That's such a, I think that's such a lovely message to end on thank you so much uh, for chatting with me this evening Mikel you've been you've been wonderful absolutely pleasure I'm, I'm happy that uh, I'm always happy to share about this because it's such an important topic it, it is such an important topic I, I don't think we humanize the homeless and give time to really try and engage with just how just how awful and difficult it must be um, I mean, like like you were saying, we, we all take access to simple human right amenities for granted. I think that's that's what we can always relate to. What if that was me? Have a, have a wonderful night, yeah. And you too. Have a good a good uh, good rest of the evening. And I look forward to joining your team soon.